Hello, and welcome to the Double Take Podcast with your hosts, Kirk and Kevin Weber. This is the show for fans of sports, music, and popular culture. In this episode of Double Take, we discuss the Hall of Fame snub of Lou Whitaker, the Beatles' Beatles for Sale album, 2019 Epic Card Surprises, and the Mount Rushmore of the Chicago White Sox. Join us now on Double Take. Okay, well, welcome to another episode of Double Take. This is Kirk Weber, along with my brother, Kevin Weber. And um, we're here kind of in the aftermath of the Hall of Fame announcement from um, this last weekend. And um, Lou Whitaker did not make it in. Now, I'm sure that that would be, if anybody might be listening back, uh, they might want to go, well, what are the, what's their takes going to be on that? Uh, so I thought I'd let you start off, Kevin, uh, with kind of your reaction and kind of where you think this goes from here. All right. I still feel like I've been punched in the stomach. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's the first thing. When I was watching, I was very excited to watch the uh, announcement and they're like, oh, we've had two players. And then he starts reading off the bio stuff and, and I know it's going to be Marvin Miller. So I'm happy. It's Marvin Miller. Cool. Yep. And I'm, and I'm thinking, and I said it out loud at the TV, the other player better be Lou Whitaker, the other person. And as and soon as he said he started his career in 1969, I'm like, are I'm you like, kidding uh, me? Yes, what I said to him. I said, I can't believe it. I just felt numb. I just could not believe it. I, maybe I'm just gullible. I, I don't know. I just thought it was obvious uh, and a foregone conclusion that Whitaker would be one of the people. I'm really happy Marvin Milderson. We talked about that in a previous episode. Oh, yeah. I mean, he really mm-hmm. deserves it. I'm really happy for Ted Simmons. He yep. deserves to be in there. Um, but I, I, I just don't get it. And he only got Whitaker only got six out of the 16 votes. He needed to get 12. I I have yet to see any reasonable explanation as to why the other people did not vote for him. It's like they didn't even come prepared to this meeting and have any clue. Like, I, I don't get what they do with, with this stuff. You know, the way that it is now, I guess the only four people that should be in the Hall of Fame as a second baseman should be Joe Morgan, uh, Eddie Collins, and... Uh, Rogers yeah, Hornsby. Rogers Hornsby and Nap Lajewey. Those would be the only four second basemen because I guess everybody else is just awful, you know. But we have all kinds of clowns in there that shouldn't probably be in there, like Bill Mazeroski, you know, right. even Red Shandings. I mean, come on, you know, uh-huh. those those clowns are in there and Whitaker's not in there. I don't get it. I know that he comes back up in three more years and all this stuff, and, and there's probably a good chance he gets in. But you know what? I, I, I have no faith that that will happen because it should have happened right now. Yep. And I've been a member of the Hall of Fame on a couple of occasions. I've been there numerous times. I, I really do like going there. And I love going to Cooperstown. But I, I was sitting there this pissed at baseball for like probably a, a day and a half. And I'm thinking, I don't want to go back to the Hall of Fame until Lou Whitaker's in there. I don't care. It's not, like to me, it's just a sham that he's not in there. Um, maybe I'm, yeah. maybe I'm getting too worked up about it, but that's just the way I felt about it. You know? Well, I think it goes so. to show you, um, out of all the hall of fames, the, the baseball hall of fame has a great deal of injustice and, um, fuzzy criteria. Um, and it also has a lot of popularity contest to it. 
you know um yes and you know there could be different things like oh okay uh you know you know lou whitaker was off the ballot later than ted simmons so we'd go with simmons first and uh, who cares man you have who are they who are they voting for tommy john i mean i don't get what they're doing you know on this ballot so it's just frustrating like you i mean you're i mean we're in a different era with the different metrics that you can look at guys for and whitaker when he retired the thought was this these two guys trammell and whitaker look like they would be they're going to be in probably cooperstown someday and then whitaker's path took bad you know directions and now you kind of come back in a resurgence of metrics and Jaffe's book and people that talk about this. All the talk out of all the people who were on that ballot, the one that really the people thought the most about was Whitaker. Yeah, he and, seemed like the, the biggest no-brainer. Right. Know? And and then he gets ripped off again. And it's yeah. not – like there's times when something happens and you second-guess. Well, maybe I'm overdoing it. I'm not second-guessing this. Lou yeah. Whitaker should be in the Hall of Fame. Whether yeah. they put him in there or not. And that's why I agree with um, different tweets that I saw. And one of them was, you know, Detroit Tigers as a franchise, forget about him having to be in the Hall of Fame to reward him for what he deserves. Build a statue, retire his number, and move on and let wait for them to get it right. You don't have to wait for them before you do what is yeah. right for well, him. Well, the Tiger organization has done an awful job for both Whitaker and Trammell over the years to try to help those guys. Um, they don't promote their players like they should. They don't do things the right way. Um, I, I don't know. It just drives me crazy. I, I just don't, I don't understand the thinking that goes into this and the idea of these new uh, committees that they established the last few years was so that they don't make the same dumb mistakes that the writers made to begin with. And then you turn around and do the same dumb thing. I don't get it. You know, now I know that it's what 2023 is the the next chance he has, which is just forever. Um, And, I, I'm thinking that there'll be different people on the committee too. I mean, I, this looked like a very favorable. Yeah, well, I committee hope so. Team. Yeah, but uh, so we'll see. Um, very. Only, the only good thing, I guess, is I wasn't going to be able to go this summer if you know because I've been to the inductions twice, and I went to you know Trammell and, and Morris's, and uh, I would have liked to go, but I was I wasn't going to be able to go, and I assumed he was going to get in. And and one of the reasons I I'm going to be out of the country, but also. Um, I wouldn't want to go anyway because I don't want to go when a New York Yankees there or a New York Met because it's just flipping crazy there. All right, so mm-hmm. Jeter's going to be getting in, and it's just going to be nuts. It just would uh, annoy the heck out of me. So I guess you know if he gets in like he should on the next time around, then hopefully I can go. <laughs> be the right. only good thing, I guess. The slight silver lining of it, but you know, like I say, I don't have any faith that he's going to get in then. You know, because mm-hmm. he should have gotten in now. What, what makes it any different, I guess, other than they might have a, a different committee that actually looks at some numbers and realizes he's the seventh best second baseman ever, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't get it, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I I mean, I guess we're not really, you know, I, I, I don't I'm, I don't feel like I need to defend him again. I know he belongs enshrined in Cooperstown and someday they better get it right. But Hopefully that's about before it. he dies. Yeah. yeah. It, it's just like that's that is just the reality. Like there's times where you can second guess what you think sometimes. I'm not second guessing this one. 
I know based on looking at so many different people who are in and out and careers and stuff that Lou Whitaker should be in the Hall of Fame. And I'm, I will go to my grave believing that. And I know there's a lot of other people. Now, he's gonna, there's going to be more talk over the next few years again about Whitaker. So I hope that it's positive momentum. Um, but, you know, it really comes down to these idiots on the panel. You know, and what are they talking? I mean, they went around in a round table and they talked about it. What did you talk about? Yeah. I you know? know, like like we did our show when we talked about all those candidates. We looked up the stuff. I felt like we were better prepared to do our podcast than these clowns when they came in there. We were. How do you not? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't get it. What are you doing? Nobody's going to have to. I mean, when I walked, if I walked in that room, I know exactly who I think the four best guys are there. And um you know, I might be able to be swayed on my fourth, but I'm going to have my top three like pretty locked in and I'm going to be able to defend them. It seems like everybody should be able to do that. It's like it's like they just pick some people off the street randomly and put them on the on the committee or something. I don't get it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. and there's so many other things where people talk about did they you know, like the, the contemporaries that were on the committee who played against Whitaker for most of their career. Well, I mean, this whole idea of whether Whitaker was a Hall of Famer or not when you played against him, I don't think you even think about those things all the time when you're playing. And nobody sees a guy play all the time. But, uh, you know, there's plenty of other guys they played against. So I'd like to ask him, do you think that guy really seemed like a Hall of Famer when you're playing against, you know, Harold Baines? You know, did he seem like a yeah. Harold? Did Harold seem like that? Because Harold Baines, I was looking up Harold Baines because later on in our show, we're going to talk about the uh, Mount Rushmore for the White Sox. Harold Baines played outfield for the first seven years of his career and basically was a DH for the rest of it. All right. Yep. Like, and he's in the hall of fame. Like, are you kidding me? If you, if you talk to me about who was more valuable to their team during this time period, which is basically the same time period that Lou Whitaker and Harold Baines played, Lou Whitaker was more valuable to the Tigers and Harold Baines was for any of the teams. White Sox. And he won a championship. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, I it, it's just ridiculous. So, yeah, frustration. Um, but we're not gonna. I don't. I don't want to lose faith, though. I definitely had it, like you said, a punch in the gut on that one. Uh, we'll just have to rebuild and uh, look to twenty twenty three for Sweet Lou, and hopefully he gets justice then, um, and we'll be, you know, we'll be all right. I mean, I, I just well, here's the deal: if if it does happen like it should, then. Well, maybe we can go together and see the induction. That might be fun. <laughs> that that so, might be that would be that would be fun. Yeah. Yes. Um, so uh, there's plenty of things on that, um, and you know, I'm sure that that'll be a kind of a little thing that we talk about here and there because it's always going to be a bitter topic for us. But mm-hmm. when we come back, uh, we got a couple things planned. We're going to do a Beatle album. Um, our next Beatle album that we're doing is Beatles for Sale. We're going to talk about the Chicago White Sox, Mount Rushmore, top four players uh, in their franchise from our perspective, um, and then a little Appa talk too. Uh, I guess normally the last few episodes we've started off with some Talk, but we'll kind of weave that in after our first break here. So thank you for joining us, and we will be right back. Okay, well, welcome back. It's time for our 
weekly Beatles talk, and today we're going to be discussing the Beatles album Beatles for Sale. Uh, this album was released on December 4th, 1964, just in time for the Christmas holiday. About a week before that, they had uh, released a single because the Beatles, at least in Great Britain, uh, believed that you should not be releasing songs on your album that you also release as singles. So they released I Feel She's a Woman about a week before, and of course that would end up being number one hit songs. So today we're going to talk about this um, very interesting album that has... Um, Eight new songs from the Beatles on it and six covers. But the difference here was that they were in between a big world tour and they were making a movie and they were going on TV and the radio and jet setting all over the world and trying to make this album um, before Christmas. That was kind of their idea because, you know, they were still making two albums a year. So what are your initial thoughts here on Beatles for Sale, Kirk? Well, whenever I think of Beatles for Sale, I think of... Um kind of a more country flavored album they have a little bit mm -hmm. more of that there's a, a bit more um kind of the songwriting i know that one of the songs that is one of paul and john's favorite songs was babies in black they like from this point forward would always record it uh i'm not recorded i'll play it live um yep. even though i it's like this waltz that's kind of a weird live song but they loved it um so there's some interesting things about it um it's you've got a lot more acoustic flavor to it um and those are all kind of like a different feel for 1964 there's some stuff i love on it like uh you know i mean i think eight days a week's a great song i love how they do words of love uh you know from buddy holly i think that's a great version that they do um mm -hmm. and i love the version of kansas city hey 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 you know the medley um, yes. rock and roll music is one of john's you know greatest vocals as a beetle and um, I think I, I'm a Loser is a really interesting song as well. So there's, a, there's some good stuff that's on there. They, um, you know, it's, it's, they have weird melodies and some weird chords that they'll use and keys that they use that kind of change it around. Um, but it's still a very interesting album. It's one of those that um, I think that if they weren't as famous as they are, nobody would really think about it. But now when you look back, it's historic, right? Yes. So, And I think that it's an album that shows that they still had a lot of energy. They were still liking each other. They were still having fun, even though they had a, a, the craziest schedule you could have. But I think it's kind of an understated and underrated Beatles album. It's a, I mean, when I listened to it again this week, it's a really fun album. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. I mean, is it uh, their best? Well, no, but I, I tell you what. I mean, it's it's really a fun album to listen to. I mean, they had three songs in there that they considered for singles. Uh, no Reply and Eight Days a Week and I'm a Loser. And those all would have been, you know, hit, hits as well. Yep. But, of course, you know, We I Feel Fine and She's a Woman is our songs. The interesting thing, I also listened to Beatles 65 this week, and that came out around the same time, um, the American version of it. And most of these songs are on there, but they have a few leftover ones. But they do have I Feel Fine and She's a Woman on the second side of Beatles 65, which makes it pretty interesting, you know, when you listen to it that way. If you, if In its own way, it makes it, yeah, it makes it kind of stronger, right? Um, yeah. I mean, if you got, I mean, I don't mind Mr. Moonlight, what's this on here? And, um, you know, but, you know, that's a little bit of a weaker song, I'd say. And, you know, 
maybe like a song like Every Little Thing or something like that, you know, could could be gone or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you put I Feel Fine and <laughs> She's a Woman on there instead, holy cow. But, you know, I, I respect the Beatles for not wanting to make people pay for something twice. So, you know, right. that, that's fine. Yeah, it's um, – I, I think that th- with all the busyness that they had going on, the craziness of their lives with the touring and all that, um, I, I what they produced was actually quite good. Um, but I think this is the album, in my opinion, that m- they may have thought back to when they said, if we weren't doing all this craziness, jet-setting around the world, we could do even better. Then, yeah. well, like, they were starting to do that here, you know. When you get the feedback on "I Feel Fine," you get the the uh, the the intro to eight days a week. You know, they were trying, they were messing with some stuff here, but they didn't really have a lot of time to do that. Yeah, right. Um, so I, I mean, I enjoy it. I, I like um, how I like the the picks for the cover versions. I like some of the originals. There's some great harmony on this Mm -hmm. you can tell that they had gotten some new guitars especially with some of their acoustics and they wanted to use those some more on them so you're right it is a like i when i was listening back at it again you know i don't know how many times i've listened to every beetle album but i was like a lot you know a lot you know i've lost count um i was like this this is still sometimes sometimes you hear it again and it's like new again that's always the fun thing. And the Beatles allow you to do that frequently. You know, like you, you've heard a song a million times, but then it's like you really hear it. <laughs> you know what I'm right. saying? So, yeah. I mean, this album kind of does that as well. Um, it has one of the earliest written Paul McCartney songs, I'll Follow the Sun, which is always just a fun song. Whenever I hear that song, I like it. It's just, you know. But, you know, they were doing interesting things too because like Ringo, um, he didn't do any drum beats on that. He just like slapped his knees and stuff for the beat and stuff like that. So they wanted like they always wanted that different sound. So they were doing things like that. That's the same type of thing like you mentioned with Babies in Black. Same type of thing there. Um, of course, I'm a loser. has got the Bob Dylan inspired lyrics and sound to it. You know, John Lennon doing his, you know, which is I know one of both of our favorite songs. I think I'm yep. a loser is a great song. And some introspective lyrics that they didn't really have before. It's not necessarily a boy meets girl, fall in love kind of thing. But, you know, then again, like you say, they got the rockers, Kansas City, hey, hey, hey. They just ripped that thing off in one take, I guess. I mean, come on. Right. Yep. Because they had done it so many times that it was just yeah. like. Well, they had done that before, but then they had done Kansas City, but then they, I guess they had heard Little Richard do the medley with Hey, Hey, Hey. And then they were in Kansas City on their American tour, and they decided to do that, and the crowd, of course, went crazy. And they thought, hmm, well, we should we should record that. We should, you know, put that down. <laughs> so, right. You know, good, good idea. idea. Yeah. I mean, that's what ends. Kansas City, hey, 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 ends side one. And then eight days a week starts side two, which is cool, I think. So, right. You know. I think eight days a week is a great intro um, song for any side of an album. So that that's that's a really good, you know, um, decision that they had with that. And eight days a week, wasn't that released as a single in the U.S.? I think it yes. was and went number one. I mean, it, it it it's really a single on there, is what it is. Oh yeah, so. well, there's several songs like that. But even a song like J.J. Abrams on the on the Beatles channel was talking about certain songs that other people would think that would be the best song they ever wrote and would have been a big hit for them. And of course, the Beatles have a whole bunch of that. And one of them on here is "I Don't Want to Spoil the Party," which is a it's just a great song. It's got that great Beatles hook. 
you know, if, if anybody else would have written that song, it would have been a big hit for him in the mid-60s. But, you know, Beatles, it's just an album track, you know. Right. <laughs> just stick right. there, you know. And I think that when you talk about the Beatles in context and you and people who were uh, living through their releases in the 60s and um, how how unique they were and special and how they seemed above um, above the fold as far as, you know, excellence— they would people would recognize that they would just go through a Beatle album and go look at all these look at all these tracks that are just part of this album right mm-hmm. um and i i think that when you look back it's harder to look at that in such a, a wide scope but when you're looking album by album like that um you realize wow i mean like you know where they can just kind of plug in these these you know the 12th track on a on an album that um would have been a huge single for somebody else yes and I think you're spot on in saying that this album is their most countryfied album. I mean, I just got done watching, you know, the Ken Burns country music stuff, so I have a little familiarity with that now. Mm-hmm. And this album, I mean, there's just so many songs that have that country feel. I mean, I'm a Loser has that. Certainly Babies in Black has that. Um, y- you know, uh, I Don't Want to Spoil the Party has that. Honey Don't, I mean, they do a couple, you know, um, Carl Perkins song. So honey, don't, and everybody's trying to be my baby. They have that, you know, I mean, so mm-hmm. it definitely does, you know, which yeah. the Beatles do that really well. They do. They it well. really, it, they have an interesting take because they, they liked country music a lot, but they take a very British 1960s approach to it, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, so there's not the twang involved, yes. but Except for what, a little what, bit with Ringo sometimes, a little bit but, with Ringo. And that's why he liked to do that sort of thing. But with their style, they, what they appreciated was the country's, uh, like whether it's finger picking or the types of chord changes you would have in the songs and the keys that you would set the songs in. Those are the sorts of things that were country influenced to them. They would hear yes. that sort of thing. Well, a perfect example is I Don't Want to Spoil the Party. That is like a country pop kind of song that you would even hear sometimes in the mid-60s. And I think Roseanne Cash covered that song and took it to number one. Right, that's a sort of song that sure a country, a country yeah. singer could, could do something even It's got more a country with. hook. But the Beatles just do it, and of course you have that beautiful Lennon McCartney um, melody, you know, that harmonies that they get going, you know. Right. So, yeah, I mean, you know, they just kind of did it their way, but they, I guess they internalized and understood the song structure and the beauty of country music, stru- song structure and the way those songs are structured that kind of add to other popular music, and that's what they liked, and they kind of worked that into their own songwriting as well. So Right, Exactly. You get past the culture, you just see the music, you know. Right. So. And just the, the style or the, the, the commonalities on what they would do, they start working those in. So, yeah, it's a fun album. There's some, there's some well-known songs, but there's also some little gems that if somebody was exploring the Beatles, they would, um, would find those. Like we, we did when we were getting into the Beatles a long time ago. You know, you'll find a song like I'm a Loser or No Reply that you might not be that familiar with. Or then you'll go, I, you know, I don't want to spoil the party. Or or even a song that's like uh, What You're Doing. That's that's a fun little song that's uh, album track. But, you know, I mean, it, there's there's some good stuff. And The Words of Love is fun, too. I, I, I like the harmonizing on that song as well. So Yes. And the other interesting thing, of course, you know, they released... A Hard Day's Night, and then this one at the end of the year. But they did an EP, you know, with, you know, four other songs in the middle of the year, the Long Tall Sally EP, which right. is a great thing, too, with Long Tall Sally. I believe it had uh, 
um, match by, yeah, slow, no, slow down, long tall Sally, um, bad boy, and matchbox. I think yeah. those are the four. That is a that's great, a, yeah, great AP. Yeah, I mean that is that EP is, um, and that's a lot of like rock and rollers, you know, and a lot of heavy on Lennon as well. But yeah, um, but yeah, that's 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 good stuff. There. They ripped that off during the summer in between things too, and this released that. And so I mean, and that I don't know if you you probably could really add that to this. I mean, those songs could have been on here. Can you imagine like having Slow Down and um, Bad Boy and Long Toss Alley on this album? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, okay. Well, Mm -hmm. and I feel like what this album represents as we kind of close this segment is the end of some of the cover versions of things that they do. As they move into 1965, they do some cover versions, don't get me wrong, on Help!, uh, but by the time we start moving into Rubber Soul, we're kind of past that. And they're pretty yeah, much kind of going, done with it. They're, they're saying, what are the other things we've done on our live sets that we do really well that we can um, that we can put into our, you know, our catalog that we can record um, and, you know, put on EPs or whatever, you know, so like they're throwing in rock and roll music or whatever, Long Toss Sally in there. They're throwing in whatever songs from Barry or, or Little Richard or somebody like that. And they pretty much exhaust those as we start moving into 1965. I mean, they're going to do like act yeah. naturally for Ringo, but, um, and I Another think country hit, uh, by the way, right. Yeah. And they're going to do uh, dizzy Miss Lizzie. That'll be on help, which is our mm-hmm. next album that we'll talk about. But like they yep. pretty much are getting to the end of those songs and then it becomes, you know, their own compositions pretty much, you know, from that point forward, um, unless they just want to kind of reflect on something. So um, we're yes. getting close to the end of that, and they've almost exhausted those. They're starting to move into that next phase. Yes, um, you know, we, you know, I, I would say that help is still part of the first phase of the Beatles, and then Rubber Soul is the second phase. But yeah, they're they're definitely moving away from that. So yeah, so yeah, that's a good discussion. And as we mentioned, we'll be talking about help um, next time. Okay, well, welcome back. Uh, we're going to do a segment with some APA talk, and it's kind of a on-the-spot sort of APA conversation. Kevin has been able to look at the uh, 2019 season cards uh, through um, online through APA Go, and uh, so I wanted to ask him, and I gave him a little bit of a heads up so he can kind of be prepared on this, so, and also so that we could share some of these on our social media later on. But what were a few, a handful of cards? that you uh, found surprising or interesting or, you know, just something that caught your attention from 2019? I mean, there's certain predictions people make and expectations you have for a card, like, you know, the type of power numbers or fielding or pitching grades and stuff like that. Um, Did you have any that you came across that you were maybe surprised or pleasantly surprised or disappointed with or anything, Kevin? Yeah, um, well, I think more of the surprises. I look for more of the positives, I guess, stuff that I liked. Um, I've got uh, four cards I'll talk about. One we talked briefly about earlier in an earlier podcast about Rich Hill getting a, an A grade. I thought he would be a B. I mean, he had a 2.46 earner average, but, um, which is 
pretty dang good for nowadays. Um, so, you mm-hmm. know, I think he deserves that A, but I was a bit surprised that he got an A grade. So that's the first one. There's not a whole lot else to say about that. I mean, he only pitched 58 innings this past season. But, you know, he pitched like an A, so that, that was good. The other cut I was really interested to know how it would turn out was um, Nick Cassianos. Um, mm-hmm. Because, you know, he finished with 58 doubles. Um, oh, right. On the all-time single-season list. Yeah. I mean, quite a remarkable season for that you know right and he because, hit 289 you know right because before he um even got traded from the tigers to the, to the cubs he was just a doubles machine yeah yes so i mean he had 27 homers as well um splitting time between the tigers and the cubs and played in 151 games he got 615 at bats because uh, he's not a big walk kind of guy but no. so if you're thinking okay so this guy hit 27 dingers he hit 289 um what do you think kirk for his card what do you think it would look like have you seen it at all or i have not it? seen it so this is i guess I would good. Just, this is probably the most curious i have but so just off the top of your head what do you think it might look like well, I, I think, think he's going to, with 27 homers, I know he had over 600 at-bats, so he, he should have a one on 66, but he might have a double column yeah. card with um, maybe at least uh, three zeros and a lot of sixes in that second column. Um, or Yes. So I was thinking he might have like a, a single column card with like a bunch of sixes. Um, um, Steve's Epa card computer has him like with an 11-5 and then three sixes on, you know, for a single column on 33, 22, and 44. But the official game card, he has four zeros and a 66-1. So oh. uh, zeros on 11, 33, 22, and 44. And then he's, you know, those are his best numbers. And he's got eights on, you know, 15 and 55 and 25 and 51 and all that. So, but yeah, he does have like a whole bunch of sixes. I mean, he's only got like in the second column, he's got a a seven on 65 and a four on 55. And then he's got an 11, 33 and 22. He's got ones in that second column and he's got a two on his 44 second column Mm -hmm. and everything else is a six. Okay, mm. so I mean, I'm sure the reason they went to those double column cards is because they can closer reproduce the statistics, you know. Um, if you know, right? And on Steve's numbers, on Steve's Apple card generator, you can flip it to go oh, single yeah, yeah. And, or double. I think you know, which is interesting. I always like single column cards better. I know I, maybe they're not as accurate, but I I like them. I like the way they look better. You know? Yeah, I but, I totally agree. I. I like single column cards, especially when they have like twos and threes and fours on them. I mean, yeah. you'll see a lot of sixes and quite a few fives, but um, I like a card that might have a three or four on it. It's just kind of different because then you get different, but that can turn into different scenarios. Yeah. So, um, I mean, Steve had him with an 11, 11, five, and I was thinking initially that he might have like four sixes, like 11, 33, 22, 44, and then a one, mm-hmm. which I'm thinking, man, that'd be quite the card for a guy on third only, because if people know, you know, a six is a home run with a guy on third base only. So you'd have like five chances to hit a home run with a guy on third or something. <laughs> but uh, that's not what it was. But still a very interesting card. I was curious to see how um, it would it would turn out. Um, he is an outfielder one because he's an awful fielder still. Um, he yes. was originally a third baseman and not a very good fielder there either. Um, but he is um, medium speed now. He used to be slow speed, so mm-hmm. which I always thought was a little bit off. I, mean, I thought he ran a little bit better than that, but he's not a particularly thought, good base yeah. runner. So yeah. that's always a thing, too. If you're not a very good base runner, sometimes they give you slow or medium or something. Right. Um, 
couple other cards that um, I thought were interesting. Jose Altuve, you know, he was injured for part of the season, so he only played in 124 games, um, and he, but he had 500 at-bats, um, and he had 31 homers. So normally when you see a guy with 31 homers, you think he might have a 5-6-1 or something like that. But he actually has an, um, an 11 11 1, 33 6, 22 6, 44 7, and a 66 1, and then a, a 10 on 15. So he's got a double one card, which for, you know, a, a smaller guy like us, you know, you think, wow, he's got like kind of a power card. So I thought that that was kind of curious. Um, his card kind of surprised me. I mean, not that he, I mean, he having a 66 1, he does that. I mean, he's definitely got power. We've all seen that, like, especially mm-hmm. if you're watching him in the playoffs, but you don't always think of it that way. But that's kind of the way he was. So that was a little yeah. surprising. You know, it's interesting as a second baseman with it you know, double ones. Um, yeah. Uh, that you don't get a it's lot like of horns. I mean, it's like Rogers horns. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So, well, that's and then, cool. um, then the other, the last card I was kind of surprised about, um, and it's a player I can't get in my league because we're not drafting from San Diego is Fernando Tatis, the hotshot young shortstop for them. Now he only played in 84 games, but he hit 317 with 22 homers. And had a 379 on base percentage. And um, this is kind of the card of that we might see in the future. He, he also stole 16 bases. So he's got a double column card, but he's got double ones in the first column on 11 and 66. Mm. He's got zeros on 33 and 22. He's got a 15-11 and a 25-10 and a 7 on 44. Now he's only got when and he's got three walks too, three fourteens on there. I mean that's a heck of a card. Okay, mm-hmm. so this kid is going to be something else. I mean you, you, that's obviously what he's able to do. That's like if he played a, a full season, he's hitting around forty home runs with thirty steals and hitting three seventeen. Right. <laughs> you know, what so. did they um, grade him as a fielder? He's a shortstop, eight fast, obviously. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And he could work his way up to a nine. Oh yeah. Yeah, too. he could. Yeah, here he's a really good fielder, but he gave him an eight. So that's a heck of a rookie card. Let's just put it that way. You know, I'd mm-hmm. love to be able to get my hands on that, but uh, not this year. So, yeah, so those are the sense. cards I, I that kind of stood out to me. And there's other ones out there, but you know, we we're just picking out a few here that uh, looked a little bit interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks. That's good. What we'll do is I know that we can take little screenshots of those and. Um, maybe we can share those. Uh, you think we're breaking yeah. any rules? Yeah, we could do that. No, right? we could do that. Um, yep. And so people can just kind of take a look if you haven't had a chance to look at the app Go. And if you uh, do look at some of that ahead of time and you think that there are some surprising cards, uh, give us some feedback on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Double Take Cast. Or you can email us at doubletakefeedback at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail on anchor.fm. And we'll gladly do some more talk about that since we're kind of in that winter era um for baseball and appa it's good to kind of you know kind of just start looking at stuff and you know when we were kids you never could get that preview like you can with appa go uh so it's kind of exciting that you can look at kind of where things are at so definitely um, yep yep so thanks and then maybe we'll take a look at a couple other um things too as we kind of move into if there's other interesting appa topics people can let us know too all right we'll be right back Um, all right, well, welcome back. It's time for another uh, sports franchise, Mount Rushmore, and we're going to jump back into Major League Baseball, and we decided out of a hat, basically, to pick the Chicago White Sox and their Mount mm-hmm. Rushmore. 
um, basically when we were talking about it, Kevin was like, I'd like to go back to a baseball one. And I'm like, all right, that sounds fine. And then we just were like, let's just pick something random. Um, and while we live in the area of Chicago and visit there, uh, you know, off the top of my head, I wasn't exactly sure who I would pick. So we both did a little bit of research and I think we'll kind of like we, what we've done before, try to figure out our four, um, and kind of go from there. So do you want to just kind of say some of your initial impressions when you did some research, Kevin? Sure. Um, some guys that, you know, stood out to me and I'm not saying they're necessarily on the list or what order they're in, but, uh, I think Frank Thomas should be on the list. Okay. Yep. Um, he, he's probably right near the top there. I thought about Minnie Minoso. I, I don't know for sure. I don't know if he's on there or not, but he came into my uh, idea. We talked before about um, guys playing at least around 10 years or so for a particular club to kind of be in the running for this. I mean, we got to have some kind of standards. You know, and sorry, Mount Rushmore, so we can do what we want. So that, that would include Eddie Collins. So I think Eddie Collins is in the running for that. Mm-hmm. And um, even though he's banned from baseball and everything, uh, Joe Jackson definitely um, should be in there too. But the problem with Joe Jackson, though, is he only played, I think he only played five or six years for them, you know, before right. he got. Uh, so maybe, you know, maybe he kind of gets scratched. Um, Dick Allen was a great player, but again, he didn't play that long for them because he played for everybody and their brother. Um, I, I, I did not put Harold Baines on my list. No, nope. <laughs> okay. I did um, not either. No. Nope. Um, Luke Appling, I wasn't real sure about him. You know, a modern guy that could be in there, maybe um, Jose Abreu, but, you know, he hasn't quite played, you know, enough enough games either. Nelly Fox is in there. Um, and then a, a fairly modern player, um, Paul Konerko. So those are kind of some of the guys that I was thinking. Do you have any right. other people that I um, kind of missed? Um, I would say some people would. If you start looking at the numbers that are retired for the White Sox, these would be guys that – at least should be considered. All right. So number two, Nelly Fox is retired for them. And he played from 1950 to 63 at second base. Harold Baines is retired. Number three. Um, and you know, his position listed as DH as I ripped on him before. He only played seven years in the outfield. Luke Appling's number four is retired. Uh, Minnie Minoso's number nine is retired. Louis Aparicio's number 11. Canerco's 14 mm-hmm. is retired. Ted mm-hmm. Lyons is 16. Um, and he was a left-handed pitcher. As uh, the yep. other left-handed pitcher, number 19, Billy Pierce. Number 35, yep. Frank Thomas. And then the one that I thought you might mention was number 72, Carlton Fisk. Yes, yeah, I was just thinking of Fisk there. I kind of left him off. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Fisk's, he did very well with them. But, I mean, more of his heyday offensive days were with the Red Sox. But I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe. You well, know? yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't have in my, him in my top four either. But I thought at least he should be mentioned. You yes, know, he, he played from be mentioned. 1981 to 93 for them. It's not like he didn't play a while. Um, yeah. there's They have had four MVPs in their franchise's history. Uh, Dick Allen and Nellie Fox won MVPs in 1959 and 72. And then two back-to-back years in 93-94 by Frank Thomas. Mm-hmm. I think the number one guy on here is Frank Thomas. Me too. Uh, I think he's definitely on there. Yep. Um, you know, I mean, he's Hall of Famer. He was a great player. Um, and basically, you know, he has a long time with the White Sox. Um, so, yeah, I think that uh, for sure one of the four spots should go to Frank. Um, you know, you look at his, his stats, you know, kind of 
Um, I think he had 448 home runs with them. He had a 307 lifetime batting average. Just a little over 2,000 hits. They're not the like super ultra impressive stats. What he has is some just mammoth monster years that also kind of get you into the thoughts of Frank Thomas. He had a pretty solid war, I think a 68.1 or something like that. Um, so, you know, that's good. But yeah, Frank Thomas, I think, yeah. would be there. And he's the career leader in home runs for the White Sox with 448. So, yeah. um, you know, he's definitely going to be on, the, on there. Hall of Famer, yeah, and definitely yeah. for Frank Thomas, no doubt about it. And then um, a guy that wasn't mentioned that I, I'm just going to toss out there because he's an old dead baller is Ed Walsh, um, okay. who, who yeah. um, he won 195 games for them. Now, he lost 125, too, but he had a war of, like, 63, all right? Mm-hmm. And um, he was, you know, he was a Hall of Famer. Right. I mean, so like he played, um, I think, for like, a, like let me see, 1904 to 1916. So 12 years for them. Um, you know, a guy that should maybe if you're talking about the best pitchers in the history of the White Sox franchise, um, Ed Walsh would probably be the number one guy. I, I yeah, don't he, he you probably know. Is, so. Yes. So I'm just I'm not saying he should be one of the four, but I, I also thought we should throw him into the mix. Um, as far as, um, you know, other position players, I'd like to talk about Eddie Collins and Luke Appling. Um, yes. I think Luke Appling should be one of the four. I, um, I do too. And especially since, you know, he's, he was a career, you know, 300 hitter and he's the, their all time leader in career hits, you know, right. Yeah. 749. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I, I think Luke Appling is almost like the number two guy, if you ask me. Um, right. You know, he played, played shortstop. Yeah, he wasn't playing like, um, uh, I mean, he's playing an important position like shortstop and has good numbers for a guy that played through the 1930s and into the 40s, you know. Um, mm-hmm. You know, primarily a shortstop. I played some third base too, I think. But uh, yeah, war of 74.4. Um, I would think that Appling, he, you know, he wasn't a home run hitter guy um, or anything like that, but he had a lot uh, of triples. You know, he, he did hit a lot of triples. Yep. Um, yeah. had a good on base percentage. Yep. yep. I think his on base percentage for them was almost 400. Um, so yeah, let's go with, we've got, uh, Luke Appling and Frank Thomas. And then what do you think of Eddie Collins? I mean, Eddie Collins played for them and he also played for the athletics, right? Yeah. Um, and he had great years for both of them. Um, he was great when he was with the White Sox too. He yeah. played there for 11 years. And so in those 11 years, um, you know, he was able to get over, um, score over a thousand runs for him. Um, you know, he had over he, 2000 he hit, hits he, for he them. He hit I think. 331 when he was with them, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? For 11 years. And this is when he was getting older too. Um, you know, he had over 2000 hits for them, you know, I yeah. mean, mm-hmm. um, he had 266 doubles, you know, um, he hit over a hundred triples, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I I definitely think Eddie Collins. I mean, he's and he almost drove in. He drove in over eight hundred runs. He's getting close to driving in a thousand runs. You know, back in the day. So I I think he's definitely the third guy on there for sure. Because you know, I mean, there's a lot of people who probably grew up in in that era, and, and to them, Eddie Collins was a White Sox. I mean, I know before that he was a Philadelphia A, but you know, well, he if was you look at both. Frank Thomas played nineteen hundred and fifty nine games 
for the White Sox, and Eddie Collins played 1670. I mean, it's like he he played almost now. And going back to Luke Appling, Luke Appling played 2,400 over 2,400 mm-hmm. games for them. I mean, Luke Appling is kind of your Mister White Sox in a, yes. in his way. You know, his whole he career is, yeah. like that. Um, so I and, I mean I also I'm okay with Collins, Collins. He he's their career leader in stolen bases too. Even oh. has, he's yeah, three hundred and sixty eight career st- steals. You know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's got. He's definitely got to be on. All right, no doubt about so it. so Appling, Collins, and um, Thomas, and then we need a fourth. Um, mm-hmm. And this and, gets a little trickier. I mean, so who's in the running for this? Maybe Mini Minoso might be in the running for this. Possibly, um, yeah. Maybe Louis Aparicio might be in the running for this. Um, Mm-hmm. Maybe Paul Konerko could be in the running for this, I mm-hmm. think. You know, maybe Carlton Fisk. Um, um, I think we're going to say Joe Jackson didn't play long enough for them. I, um, I agree. Uh, he's I don't more think with he the played Indians. long yeah. enough. Yeah. I, I just don't feel like he had enough with them. Um, and definitely not going to put Harold Baines because he didn't really play as long with them as you might think. Yeah. He played... Um, as he played longer for other teams, you know, as far as combining them together in his career. I think he played, um, well, no, maybe he played like 11 years with them or something like yeah, that. Yeah, he but, did. Yeah. But he but, was brutal um, too. Yeah. But I'm just kind of sour on that. And it's a little bit with the, you know. Sorry, things. Harold. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what what is your thoughts on Kernerko? I mean, like he's an interesting guy to kind of think. Um, do you think that Kernerko would be one of their Mount Rushmore? You know, I mean, you know, he played there from 99 to 2014. Um, You know, he kind of, of course, he got off to kind of a slow start when he was there. But then, you know, the thing is, he was, um, he emerged as a big power guy, you know, for that 2000 World Championship team. Um, And, you know, he was kind of like the the face of the franchise there for that period of time, you know, six-time All-Star, he had over 40 homers twice. Knocked over, uh, knocked in a hundred runs six times. Um, you know, kind where of like he, a, um, the poor man's, the poor man's Frank Thomas in a way. You know, uh, where does he rank anywhere significant on some White Sox career numbers? Um, do you have um, any? Did you? Yes, I can. Let me see here. I can kind of. He he had nine hundred four walks, so that gives him. He's fourth on walks. Uh, where else is he? He's second. And runs batted in to Frank Thomas. Frank mm. Thomas had fourteen sixty five runs batted in. Konerko thirteen eighty three, mm. and then third is Luke Appling. All right, mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah, and then fourth is Harold Baines. Um, he is second in career home runs on the White Sox four thirty two to Frank Thomas's four forty eight. Mm. Um, what else we got here? Um, uh, doubles. Uh, he's third in doubles, 406 career doubles behind Frank Thomas and Luke Appling. Um, he is hmm. third in career hits for them, 2,292 behind Luke Appling and Nellie Fox. Uh, it sounds like he's got to be Konerko. And he's it, one, yeah. two, three, fourth in runs for them with 1,141 runs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's Paul Konerko. Yeah, Paul and that's Konerko. why they retired number 14. Long before he, you know, any talk about like he should be in the Hall of Fame or any worry like that, which I wish the Detroit Tigers would understand why they need to retire number one for Lou Whitaker. Um, Because Konerko is a he is a potential Hall of Famer. I mean, it's it's going to be interesting. You know, I don't know if he's going to get it now. He's close. uh You know, his career batting average is down a little bit. You know, but he played first base, so you know that you kind of give a little bit with that, but. 
Yeah. I mean, he's you know, the White Sox are doing well getting people in. You know, even got Hawk Harrelson in. Jeez. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. So. so, yeah. So let's go with we'll have Knurko be our last guy, and we're going with Appling and Collins and Thomas. I, that's a very nice uh, group there. Yeah. Uh, couple yes. middle infielder guys and a couple corner guys are guys that did some DHing too. But uh, yeah, those are all, those are good players. And I, I think that having a guy like Conurco, more of a 21st century guy, uh, he is one of the greatest players in the history of their franchise. Uh, no doubt people, about it. You know, yep. so I, I don't feel bad about that one. And there's some other guys that I think are de- definitely, you know, worth the discussion. Um, but, I think those would be a good solid four. So, all right. Um, again, if, um, anybody, uh, has a suggestion on uh, Mount Rushmore, they'd like us to try to tackle and just hear our opinions. Feel free to contact us on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram at double take cast or email us at double take feedback at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail on anchor.fm and we will, um, give it a shot. That we would yep. not have a problem with that. We'll we'll save some of our more Detroit oriented ones for different times, but we're gonna try to tackle things that seem like, you know, an interesting challenge at least and where there it's not so obvious. So I don't know what we'll do next week, but um, you know, please tune in and see. <laughs> yeah. Well hopefully somebody gives us a suggestion, then we'll know what we're doing. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah. So suggestions welcome. All right, thank you. Double Take is recorded using Audacity and CleanFeed. We use Fifine USB microphones and distribute through Anchor.fm. Theme music, Funk in the Trunk, is by Shane Ivers at SilvermanSound.com. Please follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at DoubleTakeCast, or email us at DoubleTakeFeedback at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.